Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 championship. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. And hello again and welcome to from the diamond on sports radio 92.9 the game Grant McCauley Corey McCartney along with you from the Kia studios in Midtown as we discuss everything going on with the Atlanta Braves and of course across all of Major League Baseball as well we appreciate you making us part of your Sunday afternoon if you haven't already make sure you're following along on social media you can find me at Grant McCauley you can find Corey at Corey J McCartney both of those on Twitter and you can find the station at 92.9 The Game and the show at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end to give us a follow on Twitter. And, of course, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find From the Diamond. Take us with you wherever you go. Corey, it's been an eventful week for the homestanding Atlanta Braves, and it's about to get a whole lot more eventful because they're going to be welcoming the New York Mets to town for a three-game series that opens up on Monday. But what we've seen from the Braves since June the 1st means that the meeting between these two teams, the Braves and the Mets, that is, is going to be wholly different than it was in the first week of May. I feel like I need to channel uh, Mark Henry, the world's strongest man, because it's time for the, the main, main event. If, I mean, we've been waiting for this since the first time they saw each other, and you knew that this this wasn't the real version of the Braves. And no. now we get to see it in the pitching matchup, starting with Max Scherzer against Max Fried on Monday night. I mean, this feels like the postseason, and, man, we're even getting it before the All-Star break. Yeah, so while it may be time for the main event come Monday, there are 15 meetings remaining between these two teams, which gives us time for a whole lot more talking. So we haven't said as much as we're going to say by the time we get to the end of September, but either way, there's a lot to be said about the way the Braves have been playing on the homestand as they were able to take three of four from a very good Cardinals club. They were able to win a series against the Washington Nationals. You didn't want to fall into, as we talked about on Battery Power TV over the weekend or on Friday, you didn't want to you know, slip on a banana peel and lose a series to the Washington Nationals when you're trying to head into Monday and be ready and feel like you've got the momentum to face Max Scherzer and the Mets. We always use the term in football, trap series, right? Trap game. Trap game. And, and, I, and I hate to use that in baseball because I know people you know, say, you know, the, the, the marathon of it all went out. Sure. But the fact that you had the, the Mets, a team that you know, they've been angling towards, that they've been chasing in the standings, that everything about since the, the run since June 1st was about running down this Mets team and yeah. trying to make this interesting before that big run of uh, 12 more games after the All-Star break that you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this National Series had that makings of, okay, are they going to get caught looking ahead? And the fact that they went out and erupted offensively in the first game, scoring 12 runs, winning a close game in Game 2, um, you know, then obviously you know, end of extra innings on Sunday. This did not seem a team that was looking ahead whatsoever. Uh, everything just seems to be continually clicking. The starting pitching has been really, really good all uh, series long. So things have certainly trend in the right direction with the Mets coming up next. They have. There have been a lot of trends that have been heading in the right direction for the Braves. You brought up the starters, and I think that's a good place to start with when you do look at the success of this club because no one is making more noise in the starting rotation. And this is a good group, by the way. We're going to talk about them all. But Spencer Strider has been stealing some headlines. The numbers that he's been putting up and the rate at which he's been striking out batters has been second to none in all of Major League Baseball. Of everybody that has thrown at least 60 pitches this year, because remember Strider started in the bullpen, 
Spencer is striking out 14 batters per nine best in all of baseball. He's already pushed himself into the top five of the National League in strikeouts, or at least he had heading into the weekend. And it just shows no signs of stopping him. I mean, this is the guy that's on pace for a 200-strikeout season in about 130 innings, and that's the kind of thing you just don't see very much of. I mean, it's it's insane in the fact that you know he we, we had to wait around to see, okay, is he going to get a, start, a chance to start games for this team? Is he going to get that opportunity as they ran through – you know, so many different variations of guys, all of whom, you know, had a 9-0 ERA as they tried to figure yeah, out that, not a great that number five spot. What was going to happen? Where, when, when, when was he going to get his chance? And th- to say that he's taken the reins and run with it, I think, is an absolute understatement here. I mean, he's been, uh, you know, every bit, you know, looking like an all-star. I mean, I, I think it's it's just been miraculous. And then you factor in, you know, what they're getting from Michael Harris II, which we'll get into later. But um, Strider, the first rookie since 1900 with 11 or more strikeouts and two or fewer walks in consecutive starts, a two eight three ERA, a two three Fangraph WAR. It's, I mean, it's it's been next level. Yeah, it has been, and we've talked about the Rookie of the Year consideration that Michael Harris has justifiably been getting since being called up in late May. But as Spencer Strider, at that same time, was making his transition from the bullpen to the rotation, you wondered what is this going to look like. He's shown us these flashes in the bullpen in multiple innings. Will he be able to go five? I think was the first question. Now all of a sudden it's, you know, he's going six every single start. He doesn't walk batters. He doesn't give up many hits. I mean, this is a guy that I think that, you know, he's going to go through the league a couple of times. We understand that, you know, the book, as they say, will get out at some point. But with his stuff and his ability to pound the strike zone, Spencer Strider has just simply done things that other Braves fifth starter candidates weren't able to do, and particularly that is be on the attack, go after hitters, and then have the wherewithal of the stuff to put them away. I think the main thing with him is the fact that he has this fastball and everyone knows it's coming and it doesn't uh-huh. matter. I mean, the fact that, you know, the, the secondary stuff has been very, very good. I mean, the slider, you know, a 115 batting average against yep. a 170 weighted on base average against. Everyone knows that he throws that fastball almost 70% of the time. You're sitting on it and it doesn't matter that you're waiting on it. No, it doesn't. And it's not just some flat, get me over fastball with a whole bunch of velocity where he can really only put it in one place. He locates his pitches up in the zone, down in the zone, away, inside, wherever he needs to be, and he just continues to, as I said, just pound that strike zone relentlessly, and that is something that is going to be a key to success for a young starting pitcher. I mean, even with his stuff, you know, there might be that tendency for a young, unproven player to feel like, I got to prove it, I got to go out there, I got to throw this thing through a brick wall. You know, I'm, I'm facing major league hitters, MVP candidates like a Paul Goldschmidt or if you run into, say, a Juan Soto like over the weekend and there's plenty of other good hitters around Major League Baseball, but never once has he looked overmatched. I mean, has he struggled a little bit at times? Sure, but never so much so that you didn't feel like, especially talking to him afterwards and talking to Brian Snitker about this, the maturity that he shows of learning the lessons he needs to learn along the way to make himself that much better the next time out, that's as impressive part of his game as anything. I look at the the next level numbers here with him, and you look at run value, which uh, is the run impact of an event based mm-hmm. on the runners on base, outs, balls, strikeout count uh, via uh, Statcast, and he's in the top ten uh, in baseball with that fastball, and he's really got himself in this class where you're talking about him, guys who really are, are four seam heavy, the likes of Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, uh, Luis Severino, Pablo Lopez, guys that you know, yeah. Christian Javier, guys that you look at those numbers and think, okay, these are the guys that are are really ruling baseball with that forcing. And mm-hmm. he's right there with him. I think the profile of him and Garrett Cole, I find a lot of similarities too. They both work that slider off the fastball. I'm not saying we're going to look back a couple of years from now and he's going to be in the same class as Garrett Cole, we but I, 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 who knows? I mean, certainly what you've seen of him so far, 
I mean, it's it's just been so impressive, and uh, you know, he's just been fantastic. Uh, it, it's it's been remarkable what they've gotten from a guy who, when we started the season, wasn't even in the debate whether or not he should be in the starting rotation. Yeah, I think that especially with the shortened spring training, you really weren't able to allow yourself to think about that at the moment, and that's one of the things that I, I kind of felt like. You know, would he get a chance to prove it over the course of a 162? That felt like a discussion that was going to happen at some point because he had been a starter throughout his minor league track. The Braves had brought him up as an audition for a potential relief arm, power arm, didn't end up using him in the postseason last year. But when he was drafted, I know Dana Brown, who's the head of you know the Braves player development and their scouting and everything, and, and the guy that's making these calls ultimately when they uh, make these uh, draft picks, he said, you know, we look at him long-term as a starter, and that's how we feel like we're going to develop him. And as it turns out, just a couple of years later, they have developed quite a big league starter here, but he's just one piece of a larger puzzle that has really come together quite well for the Braves because we know what Max Fried has been doing this year. We've talked about how excellent Kyle Wright has been and what he has managed to do to really turn the corner and, and take a spot in the rotation and run with it. But then you throw in Charlie Morton's resurgence along with Spencer Strider, and all of a sudden, that one through four for the Braves, and I know Ian Anderson has had some ups and downs this year and is still kind of working on his, but that one through four for the Braves, four pitchers with 100 or more strikeouts this season. That's the only staff in baseball that can boast that. No other club has more than two. This has been how impressive it is, and Spencer Strider's a big part of that, but the dominance of Max Fried, I think, sets the tone for the rotation as much more than anything. Yeah, without question. I mean, it's it's incredible when you really think about this. The eighth team since 1933 to have four pitchers hit the 100 strikeout mark before the All-Star game. The Dodgers and White Sox did it a year ago. Uh, the Indians and Astros in 2018. The Red Sox was that year as well. Then the Nationals in 16 and the Indians in 15. Uh, but it really is all been predicated by Max Fried, and I wrote it for a piece for Battery Power this week, really going into what's been the evolution for him and the way that he's been able to use his secondary stuff, um, just at, at rates that are just un, unseen. I mean, and, and the fact that he's getting the, the put-away rates that he has at these pitches. I had to talk with Charlie Morton uh, about what he's seen from Freed in his development, and I told him, hey, did you know that he's throwing his slider, it, uh, excuse me, his sinker at, any, at a higher point that he has at any point in his career? And Morton said, I never would have guessed that. He goes, the thing I watch with him is that he seemingly, and I know he has a game plan, he's seemingly going up there and throwing pitches at random, and I can't imagine being a batter trying to figure out what's coming next. No, it does not sound like a whole bunch of fun, that's for sure. And as I was looking at the overall dominance of Max Fried, and you look at the, and we'll get into this discussion a little bit later as far as what the all-star pitching staff is going to look like, I fully expect Max Fried to be a part of that, and we'll get into the roster a little bit later, but consideration to be the starter in that game, I think Max Fried deserves some of that. Sandy Alcantara clearly mm-hmm. deserves some of that. Tony Gonsolin deserves some of that. Does Clayton Kershaw? Well, we'll answer that question a little bit later, and we'll get Dave Roberts' thoughts on that. But be that as it may, you know, you had the figurehead, the the guy that you knew was going to come out and be the ace of the staff, and that's a good place to start. You had Charlie Morton coming off of injury. He had to go through it for about five or six or seven weeks of kind of some ups and downs and readjustments, but now over the past month or so, he's looked every bit as good. And then, of course, we know what Kyle Wright's been able to do for the Braves Every fifth day, and all of this collectively has been extremely, extremely impressive. Now, I went back for one more Spencer Strider stat because I love these and because right now we just can't get enough of these. But including his brief cameo in 2021 where, oddly enough, he didn't strike out a batter in two and a third innings, Spencer Strider struck out his 100th career batter in 66 and two-thirds big league innings, which makes him the fastest Braves rookie pitcher to reach 100 career strikeouts since Craig Kimbrell 
who got there in 59 in the third innings back in 2010-2011. And I didn't go all the way back to the 150-year history of the Braves, but if you go into the dead ball era and you look at the fact that strikeouts just weren't as big a thing back then, I have a hard time believing that anybody got there faster than Craig Kimbrell, <laughs> and thus only Craig Kimbrell has gotten there faster than Spencer Strider has. It has been that impressive. Now, that's a piece that's in place now that's really come into focus. The Braves, we knew, were going to get some reinforcements with a host of players who have been injured and unavailable for Atlanta for large chunks, including the return of Tyler Matzik, who's back in the Atlanta bullpen. That's certainly a good thing to see. And we've got Eddie Rosario back in the Braves lineup on a regular basis. That means an awful lot for this club, as I think they needed another left-hand bat, and this is going to help them. And they, of course, expected to get a lot out of Eddie Rosario. That's why they signed him to a two-year deal to come back. Yeah, what a strange situation, too, with his, you know, the, the whole eye issue and needing surgery. And, you know, the, I, mean, I relayed this before, but the fact that he told us uh, part of his recovery was he really couldn't strain his eyes. So he really wasn't able to watch a lot of games, spend a lot of time, you know, cleaning his house, washing his cars. Um, you know, But certainly, you know, what he's been able to do since he's come back, he's already hit that home run, uh, his first of the season uh, during the St. Louis series. And, uh, you had a couple hits uh, within this uh, series against the Nationals, and, w- and we know the heroics and what he's capable of. Uh, obviously, wrote one of the best Octobers in baseball history. So we know what this guy can do, and I think to get him rolling is going to be the big, big key for this uh, this offense for sure. It will be, and a lot of questions have been, well, how do you utilize Eddie yeah. Rosario now that he's back? you got Adam Duvall, who is on the paternity list over the weekend, so the outfield's a little less crowded, though the Duvall house is about to get a little more crowded. But as for the Braves, I think that they have been looking for the chance to, you know, figure out a way to get Marcelo Zuna out of left field on a regular basis. He is now serving as the de facto DH, as I think most people would draw that up. You have Rosario and Duvall in left field, and then in center field, you've got Michael Harris in right field. You've got Ronald Acuna Jr. That's the consistency that they need. But for Eddie Rosario, he offers a lot, you know, not defensively necessarily, but just of dimension that you put in this lineup to have another left-hand bat that can complement Adam Duvall, who's been swinging the bat better over the past five or six weeks as well. Yeah, I mean, Duvall, is, the numbers have been much better. I think if you if you get caught up in the average with him, you're doing, doing yourself a disservice. He, he's been much improved you know, over the last uh, month plus here, especially against the fastball. But um, yeah, just a, another left-handed bat, I think, is going to be a real key for this offense. And um, you know, I mean, I, I, I think being more at full strength uh, with that Mets series looming, uh, we're just hours away from it at this point, was a, was a major piece for this team. It definitely is. One more piece that could be coming back this week that has said he plans to be back this week, which could happen as soon as Tuesday, would be Kenley Jansen. I've seen him throwing sides down yeah. at Truist Park. He's been on the main field, actually, on the big mound, just with hitters standing in in the left-hand and right-hand box, not really taking any swings against him but just keeping his arm ready to go. And that's something that, you know, Kinley has dealt with the heart issues before. The irregular heartbeat is what landed him on the IL. He actually pitched through it for a little while, which is quite something to think about when most people hear about a heart issue. You don't think about, hey, let me press my luck with this for a little while in an athletic competition. But for Kinley, you know, you got to know yourself. You got to know your body. You also got to know when, you know, to maybe take a step back, recalibrate and get reset. And that's what he's done. So, Hopefully that will get him back on the track he needs to be on and back to closing games for the Atlanta Braves because that will make their bullpen that much better because we've seen a little bit of a bend and maybe not quite break for the Braves over the past few weeks without Kenley. Kenley had, had talked about what it took to get himself you know, back and then the fact that they have to shock the heart back in. And, I mean, it's just it's scary stuff, but obviously you're, you're going to be excited to have him back. Yeah, it certainly will be. we got a lot to get to here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you as we continue with This Week in Braves Baseball. We will hear from Braves catcher Travis Darno. I've got that next for you on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, back to more from the Diamond. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. 
Welcome back to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We are in the midst of this week in Braves baseball, which has been a pretty good one and which will be an even more eventful one with the New York Mets coming to town on Monday to start a three-game series. we got that premier pitching matchup in Game 1, of course, Corey, as we have Max Freed against Max Scherzer, the Super Max matchup, maybe we'll call it that. But I, I caught up with Travis Darno this past week, and he's somebody that knows all about the New York Mets because that's where he began his career. And you think about what Travis has brought to the Braves over his you know, parts of three seasons now, and it has been, I think, a consistency behind the plate and at the plate. He's also enjoyed some of the best production of his career as well. And teaming with William Contreras this year, I think the Braves have to be pretty happy with what they're getting at the plate and behind the plate from their catching duo. Travis Darno is a big recipient of that that shortened pandemic year. Uh, hit has his best year in terms of way to run create a plus. He was down last year, even when he wasn't injured. He's been a big bounce back guy. 120 way to run create a plus, a 20% above league average. So certainly he's getting it done at the plate as well as behind it. Yeah, it's been a really good duo when you put him together with William Contreras. No catcher's position for any of the other 29 teams has hit more homers or knocked in more runs than have Darno and Contreras. I had a chance to catch up with Travis Darno not long ago to talk to him about his time in Atlanta, of course, the World Series win, and the June that has turned this club's season around. Well, I'm here with Braves catcher Travis Darno, and what an amazing run I think it's been in Atlanta, would be safe to say, for your time here. You know, you sign with the club, you go to the playoffs in 2020, go deep into and in the 2021, you win it all. How would you describe your time here in Atlanta thus far, as I'm sure that this has been the culmination of a lot of dreams for you? Um, it's been a blessing. You know, I was persuaded to come here by my brother, who absolutely loved it here, who was treated tremendously here, and uh, I'm glad I, I took his brotherly advice, and I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to be here still, and I absolutely love it here. As you went through the 2021 season, there were a lot of challenges for you, obviously. The number one was you get injured. You miss a whole lot of time. The club kind of scrambles around trying to figure out how to solve the loss of having you behind the plate on a regular basis. As you came back and got into action late in the season, how were you feeling at that time? And what was it like knowing that through the playoff run, the catching duty became 100% yours? Um, yeah, through the time of the injury, I knew I, I'd be able to come back. You know, it's not something I'm proud of, but I was hurt in New York for quite some time, so I kind of knew the process a little bit to just keep plugging away, keep grinding away, and good things will happen. And once I came back, I just had that same process of just keep grinding, going out there, trying to win games. And we got hot, right, when we got those huge trades. And we stayed the hottest team in baseball all the way through the end of the year. And to be the primary guy was really special. And I'm, like I said, I'm grateful for still being able to play last year with what could have been an end of a year with that thumb injury. And yeah, it was cool. How important was this offseason to help you get back to being more of 100% healthy? Oh, it's huge. You know, the time off was the only real thing that would truly let my thumb recover all the way. And um, at the point last year, you know, I sacrificed a little pain for the ultimate glory, and, and fortunately it worked out that way. No, it certainly did. And as you look at a club with the storied history of the Braves, I mean, it's the 150th year of the team, but just the fourth time that the Atlanta Braves or the Boston Braves or Milwaukee Braves had won it all, to be a part of that group, I mean, I know you'll reflect on this a lot throughout the rest of your career and obviously the rest of your life, but describe the camaraderie and the journey that you guys went on that culminated in such a special moment. Oh, it's, like you said, you know, the, the injuries piled on early, then we lost Ronnie and you know, I'm sure most of the clubhouse assumed that the year was over after we lost Ronnie, and Alex showed us he still believed in us regardless of uh, who was playing every day, and he went and signed Jock, and Jock just opened up everybody's minds of having fun again, and once we got him, we started winning again, and then we got 
Jorge, then we got Eddie, then we got Duval. Then once those three guys came in on top of Jock, it was like we were a whole different team, and we just we just rode with that, and we just kept winning and winning and winning, and we were the hottest team in baseball the last two, three months of the year, and, you know, as Jock said, we ended up being those MRFers at the end, and it was really cool to be that. No, it absolutely was. I mean, there's so many taglines and stories and emotions, I'm sure. I mean, there's a big smile on your face just even talking and thinking about it and reflecting on it. But is it? you sit around the trade deadline. I'm sitting from a media side just looking and thinking, all right, well, you got some players. Hopefully they'll help the team out. Fans are looking at it probably thinking a lot of the same thing. But when a GM hits on a trade, that's good. If you hit on a couple trades, that's great. But to hit on as many as Alex did at that time, I mean, that's unheard of. Yeah, it's really unheard of. He won GM. He had to have won GM of the year with those moves. and. Probably one of the greatest moves of a, for a GM in season of all time to, to bring four new outfielders. It, it's incredible. And um, what he did, and it just showed he believed in us. And uh, even late in the year, he just kept coming in and kept cheering us on. And it was, it was really cool, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. And all of that excitement rolls into 2022. Obviously, the lockout kind of slowed everything down. But as the Braves broke camp, the goal is, once again, to go out and, and win it all. And that didn't really turn into the results you wanted to early in the season. But things have changed, and things have pretty much flipped completely. What was that 14-game winning streak like, and how much confidence did that inject into that clubhouse if you were, in fact, searching for kind of your team chemistry or your maybe your identity as a club this year? Yeah, we didn't start the way we wanted to, but, you know, the lesson that we learned from last year it's not how you start it's how you finish so just from us not starting the way we wanted to we were still having fun and still staying close and cracking jokes all the time and knowing our time would come and and then Jude came around and we've been one of the hottest if not the hottest teams in baseball and during that 14 game winning streak it was just like making fun of each other all the time and showing up to the ballpark and knowing good things are going to happen it's been fun to be a part of that and, and we're still playing good and fortunately we have like snit and all the coaches that keep our minds right and um, not so much trying to win it all more importantly trying to win the east first you can't win the world series unless you get there first so uh, that's our mindset and we're all just trying to win every series just like you try to do in playoffs um, regardless if an individual does well or bad just go out there and try to win William Contreras. I mean, you guys have combined to be the most productive catching duo in all of Major League Baseball, and it's not particularly close. You've worked with him, seen him over the last few years kind of grow into what appears to be a budding star, big leaguer. What have you seen out of him that's been so different that's taken him to that next level? Um, The work he puts in and the time he puts in on studying the opposing hitters is exponentially bigger this year than it was last year. He seems more comfortable, more confident in not only his work that he does, but even on the field. I mean, now it looks like he's just comfortable and confident. He's trusting what his eyes see, he's trusting his gut. And I mean, that's really all you can ask for from a, a young catcher, especially when he only has so little time. And the bullpen have noticed it, all the starters have noticed it. So when they see him working hard and wanting to become great, it makes them more confident with him behind the plate. And um, from the offensive standpoint, he's, he's always could hit. He has crazy power. Like in BP, he puts balls out neck and neck with Acuna, and he's got crazy power too. Like he can hit balls over the bullpen in right center, which is it looks like a lefty pull hitter, which is crazy and, and rare. And I've I've only seen Ronald do it now. I've seen Contreras do it, and um, he works hard, really, really at hitting as well too. You know, he studies game plans and, and knows who he is as a hitter, and it's tremendous to see such a young guy know who he is, not only offensively but defensively as well. And um, kudos to him for. He just kept plugging away and, and knew his time would come, and, and he's showing it and showing the world exactly what kind of player he is. 
Yeah, it must be something in the water down there in Venezuela with that superstar <laughs> power. That's Acuna showing it, Williams showing it, and obviously all of that's playing into the success of the Braves here in 2022. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course, anytime. Thank you, man. That's Braves catcher Travis Darno. He was kind enough to give me quite a few minutes there. We talked about a lot of different things, as you heard, his coming to the Braves being something we can thank his brother Chase mm-hmm. Darno for. And, of course, the winning that they did last season and the way that this season has turned around, Corey. It's just, I think, having the mix of players that the Braves have. And this is something I actually heard Kenley Jansen talking about last week as well. It's just this is a team that really does enjoy playing together, and that does show up on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think we don't put a lot of credit into that, right? But I, I think that's what you saw during the, the postseason last year and the influence that, as he mentioned, with Jock Peterson in, in galvanizing that mm-hmm. team and uh, you know, what, whatever you wanted to say over the offseason about who was going to lead this team and, and watching them kind of, you know, feel things out early on, I think now we're seeing that that's what really matters is that their ability to just, you know, c- come together and be a, a unit at times. It's nice to have leadership on a team, and I will never downplay the importance of it. But in baseball, I, I don't always feel like it's just the one guy. Somebody might set the tone with what they do in the lineup. Somebody might set the tone at times when the club kind of needs somebody to step in and say something. But it's not always just the one same person every time. It truly is the work of the collective to make it through 162 games to get to where you get to play more games if you do well and obviously winning it all, which is what the Braves did a season ago. Now, one of the big reasons that they've turned themselves around this year as we continue talking about this week in Braves baseball on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game is the play of Michael Harris the second, and he and Spencer Strider are now both making a strong case for Rookie of the Year in the National League. And at this point, as I look around, it's hard to find somebody else who really could take away from what these two have done. Mackenzie Gore's been good, but he's not been this good. And uh, dug into this a little bit, uh, this is the 14th time since World War II and the 11th time in the Atlanta era, which goes back to 1966, that the Braves had a rookie in the mound and one in the field, both be over one fan graph or combined 4-2 right now. We, we don't even hit the all-star break yeah, yet. so there's double a, it. There's a very real possibility <laughs> that we're talking about them chasing the 7-4 worth of war that they got from Jason Hayward and Craig Kimbrell in 2010, which is the most the Braves have ever had in a single season from a rookie pitcher and a rookie position player. These guys really have a chance at this. And you're seeing the impact that they are having. Harris in just about every facet of the game with his play in center field, which by the time we get to the end of the year, if you haven't already around the league heard of Michael Harris and what he can do in center field, he might be taking home a gold glove. We'll see how that all plays out. I don't want to overshoot it, but I've watched him every day, and I'm not going to understate it either. This kid is a gold glove caliber center fielder. Meanwhile, for Spencer Strider, as I talked about earlier, and, and we got into you know last segment, this is a guy who is striking out batters at a higher rate than anybody else in Major League Baseball as far as anyone that's thrown enough innings to get even in the neighborhood. He doesn't qualify yet because you have to have an inning for every game that your team has played. So he's got to be around, what, 87, I think now, Mm -hmm. 87 or 88, depending on you know going into Monday. But he's about 20 or so innings short of that. But the fact that he's in the top five of the National League in strikeouts at this point in the season, having just jumped into the rotation, really tells you all you need to know about his level of dominance. Now, the Braves, and we're going to talk about this quite a bit here on the show, you know, despite having this tremendous turnaround here in the month of June, despite having that big winning streak that's carried them over into July where they've won even more and finishing off a three-game sweep of the Washington Nationals continues a a great homestand for them. They've won six out of seven heading into this Mets series. A little disappointment, though, if you want to call it that this week, as uh, several Braves did not get the starting nod in terms of all-stars. But 
Dansby Swanson, the one I think everybody points at. However, I have a pretty good feeling that he's going to be out at Dodger Stadium, a National League All-Star, by the time they announce all these reserves. I'm going to be interested to see how it mixes up, though, because we obviously saw Trey Turner last year play second base for the Dodgers. So conceivably, because the two guys who were the top two vote-getters at second base, Ozzy Albies and Jazz Chisholm Jr., you could move Trey Turner to second and let Dansby play uh, short as the number two guy. So I think yeah. there's a, there's some definitely some stuff that can happen. I would hate to see them go to a Jake Cronenworth or somebody that, a little bit further down and not give it to one of the guys who was a top vote getter. Yeah, I, I can say that. Although, on the other hand, I would feel kind of bad for Jake Cronenworth because that is his everyday position. But again, it's an exhibition. It's for the fans. Let's just try to get as many guys as you can get in there and try to win the game. And thankfully, and I can't say this or stress this enough, it has nothing to do with who gets home field advantage in the World Series anymore because if there was a bone that I had to pick with Major League Baseball for overreaction, bad decisions they've made, putting World Series home field on the fate of the All-Star game was something I did not enjoy. Josh Donaldson says a lot of crazy stuff, but he yes. did make a pretty good comment uh, in the past when he said this is the one All-Star game you can't fake. You can't fake swinging at a pitch that's coming in at 100 miles an hour. This no. is not the NBA All-Star game where you go through the motions for you know two-thirds of the games. This is not the Pro Bowl where it's basically flag football. Yeah, no defense. No defense. You can't fake what's going on in the baseball field. So it doesn't, to me, it doesn't need something attached to it. But, um, it, but it's, you got it right. It's, it's a popularity contest. It's a, it's a fan service. And it's a little bit of commissioner service because you got Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols getting nods uh, via Rob Manfred. Now, I like both of those yep. being things that are done. And I feel like, and this was it's a deep cut because I was not very far into uh, my, I don't even know that I was a baseball fan at that point, but back in 1983, I think they did something similar for Carl Yastrzemski and for Johnny Bench. And they might have been voted in as all-stars, but they were the captains of their respective AL and NL squads. And I thought that was kind of a cool nod. And why not have guys that are, you know, of historic precedent on a path to Cooperstown being part of the team, regardless of the voting? You've got big enough rosters. There are going to be guys that are named All-Stars that aren't going to be able to play in the game. Either they're going to get hurt or they're going to need the time off or both. Those are just kind of the things that come with it. But either way, I do feel like it needs to be fan service, and it needs to be something that people look forward to as just this one night where you get to have this whole collection of talent out on the field at one time. I still think that's pretty cool. I know All-Star Games for a lot of people are sort of passe, but uh, I don't know. Call me old-fashioned or just, just call me stuck in the nostalgia. I still enjoy it. I do, too. And I, mean, I, I like Miguel Cabrera being there. He's, he's hitting 300 this year. He's obviously hit a lot of miles, milestones this yeah. year. This is not going to be it for him. We know this is probably in all likelihood going to be it for Albert Pujols. So put him out there. Uh, you know, give him his flowers, and, and let's let him have his moment in the town that he used to call home. Yeah, well, we've got a lot more to get into as far as All-Star Talk is concerned as we continue on from the Diamond. We're going to get up into 3-Up and 3-Down, where we've got an All-Star story. We're going to debate ourselves. It comes your way next right here. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, more from the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you alongside Corey McCartney. We are in the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, and it is that time where we will, of course, hit pause on our Braves discussion, though it's going to be speckled in throughout the show. Who am I kidding? They did just walk off the Washington Nationals to pick up a sweep of a three-game series there and grab that ever-so-important momentum heading into a three-game set against the first-place New York Mets with 15 head-to-head battles between these two clubs. Still ahead of us this season, this division race has not been decided, no matter who called it over back on June the 1st. The Braves <laughs> have now made up nine games in the standings. That's just one of the big stories going on in Major League Baseball, Corey. But let's get up into our three-up and three-down for today. And 
You know, not long ago, we were talking about the mess that is the Baltimore Orioles ownership situation. And while not a lot of clarity has come as far as that's concerned, the ball club has put it all aside and is winning at a rate that Orioles fans have not seen in years. The O's just swept away the Angels in a four-game series to move to a game under 500. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but this is the latest that they've been that close to a winning record since September of 2017. So I know the AL East is firmly in the hands of the New York Yankees, but could we see the upstart Orioles make a run at a wild-card spot this season? What an awesome story, right? I mean, you thought for a little bit of time, maybe the only thing they were going to have to truly be excited about in 22 was Adley Rutschman making his mm-hmm. debut, and now here we are talking about their longest winning streak since 2005. Um, and as Jeff Passon from ESPN noted, they're operating with a salary lower than what Max Scherzer is making in 2022. A team salary. Yeah. So you got 26-plus guys, 40-man yeah. roster, essentially, that's making less than Max Scherzer's making from the Mets this year. That is crazy. They end the first half with the Angels and the Rays, uh, who who have won two series since the start of June. I think they've got a chance to really ride some momentum into the second half, and then we'll see if a team that's been you know perennial sellers, could they really be in a position where you feel like, okay, maybe it's time to actually add something in Baltimore. And they do have you know, some players that, whether it's Trey Mancini or um, I believe Anthony Santander, that a couple of clubs could mm-hmm. like to have. Yeah. It would be useful pieces for other other teams, and you know they're not that far away from free agency, so you got those kind of things to consider. In some cases, do you sell an expiring asset in order to get you something else in? But it'd be really tough for this club to push. Maybe say they get above five hundred and they push past the All Star break, and they're still right there. And I know they're not going to win the East. I can't say that enough because the New York Yankees have done enough to probably already win that division. And I don't like to call divisions over in the middle of the summer, but the <laughs> Yankees are who they are. The rest of the division is still vying for wild cards. The Rays are beat up. The Blue Jays have yet to really hit their stride either. Who's to say that the Baltimore Orioles couldn't be the little engine that could? And it's uh, we're talking about a wild card here in expanded playoffs. Crazier things have happened in baseball. This is the quandary that was going to come with you adding the additional postseason spots on each side. It was that there were going to be more teams that felt like we've got a chance. Mm-hmm. And I think in the, the other side of that is you've created fewer teams who feel like as of August 2nd in that trade deadline – that they need to go out and, and just unload assets. So I think this is, I mean, they're going to be a fascinating team if this is for real. Um, they've got some nice pieces. You mentioned Trey Mancini in particular, um, who walked things off for them on Friday night, their eighth walk-off win of the season. That's the third in the last uh, six days for them. So That's they've got a good. lot of momentum in Baltimore right now. Yeah, they certainly have. And they moved to within two and a half games of that final wild card spot. So while you might look at the standings and see, ooh, 19 games out of first, what are you guys buying? <laughs> And, and what are we buying if we're talking about this for so long? But it's an interesting story, and I love to see teams that have no business being there finding their way in there because that is what makes baseball and what makes sports pretty fun, in my opinion. Now, a strange story coming out of Detroit where the Tigers apparently aren't even in contact with lefty starter Eduardo Rodriguez. They signed him to a five-year, $77 million contract over the offseason, and he just really has not been able to settle in yet. And then back in June, the club placed him on the restricted list GM Alavila saying over the past week that the club hasn't even heard from him in the weeks since then. And we're now talking about, you know, three, four weeks later. And there were reports that came out from the New York Post, among others, that he was away dealing with a marital issue. But whatever this is, this is not something you see too terribly often where a player, especially a higher profile player, leaves a team and they just really haven't been able to stay in contact with him. Yeah, he had signed that five-year, $77 million contract in the offseason, I mean, effectively just ghosting the team. And the, and the Tigers, have, you know, they've, they've struggled on the, the losing side in this rebuild. I mean, they've lost, at this point, a $15.4 million a year pitcher 
just as it absolutely what this team does not need it, uh, mm-hmm. Alex Avila did decline again the possibility of voiding his contract, but yeah. I think that's definitely hanging out there for uh, Escobar. Right? It I, does. Rodriguez, excuse me. And on, on the human interest side of this, obviously we hope he's able to figure out whatever he is off trying to figure out. That's first and foremost. Usually goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, as this is a spoken medium. But, you know, they have also lost Casey Myers to Tommy John surgery. That's a hit. They spent a lot of money on Javi Baez. He has not really been a difference maker for them, though I think he has played a little bit better in recent weeks. But, you know, they did go out and invest some money, hoping that they could start bringing in the players that would allow their young players to come in and begin playing up and trending up in a central that we're going to talk about this race a lot more later. Nobody has locked down the American League Central for years to come. They're not in the same situation where you say, oh, we got to get through the Yankees. And if we don't have to get through them, we got to get through the Red Sox or the Rays or, or the Blue Jays. Pick a team. It's a whole bunch of teams that if you put together a good club, you could find your way into the playoffs quite a bit. Detroit's just trying to get up that hill. And they did just end up sweeping the Guardians uh, within the last week, too. So That's it's a disaster for yeah, Cleveland. And it's not as though there aren't a lot of exciting uh, you know, guys that they've got in that uh, system right now, Riley Green, you know, Spencer Torkelson, um, you know, we've got uh, Miguel Cabrera in the midst of a career uh, resurgence here, yeah. uh, you know, in it, kind of being the figurehead and the, you know, the patriarch of this team right now. Um, they're not that far off. You know, we, we saw them spend a lot of money in the offseason. There was even speculation whether they were going to be in the Correa sweepstakes. So I think mm-hmm. you you know this is a is a team that's willing to spend when they're on the cusp. And I think that's the, that's the unfortunate thing about the situation that Rodriguez has him in right now. And I really did feel like they were going to be and were in that Correa sweepstakes. I mean, they went out and spent $140 million on Javi Baez, so clearly they were going to spend some money for a shortstop, and they did get one. Now, as far as spending money is concerned, the Red Sox have lumped a lot of it into Chris Sale's bank account over the past few years, and he's been <laughs> injured quite a lot and has not been able to make as big of an impact as they like on the field. And he had himself a bit of a time during a recent rehab start as he lost his cool and a temper tantrum that was, of course, caught on video. Now, Sale walked five batters and said something that that's really gotten under his skin because he doesn't walk five batters too often, and I guess I can understand that. But then he went down the tunnel and let off his steam by throwing and smashing some equipment. The downside, though, was that the camera was rolling, so this went viral, as things do. Reporters caught up to Sale at Fenway over the weekend, and he offered this explanation, at least in part. It was caught on video, and people see it. Their reaction to it. I, don't I mean, care, man, that, that, that's their problem for video on it. You know, if you want me to act like a normal person, you got to treat me like a normal person, right? This isn't like a normal atmosphere. You know, if I was at Bank of America, it wouldn't fly, right? But we're not at the Bank of America. This is sports. This is leverage. This is pressure. This is. I take a lot of pride in. Yeah, but I, I think a lot of people are under pressure in their everyday jobs too. And they don't see it that. Way. That's individual prerogative, man. You know, everyone's entitled to their own opinions. Now, you probably won't get away with breaking things and working for any branch of any bank or any job, really, but Sales got a unique history for really letting his emotions, Corey, get the best of him, and that includes cutting up a bunch of throwback uniforms in Chicago back in 2016. That's a little incident that springs to mind when you see this. Yeah, I mean, if you were to walk out of the studio here and go over to the bullpen area and grab that TV off the wall and mm-hmm. yank it down and start smashing stuff and talk about your, you know, you're, you're just a competitive guy and this yeah. was a fantastic... It's been you know, real. Thanks yeah, for letting me was, come back. This was a segment I really wish I could get back and I'm going to take my frustration out on this monitor. Yeah. That's not flying. I, nope. To me, it's... Nope. You, you are literally... The, the minor leaguers watching you that are on this team know that you are a guy who is one of the best pitchers in the game. And this is how they see you acting. I mean, I hate to bring being a parent into this whole situation, but 
this it's 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 so childish. I'm just floored by this. It's one thing, you know, if you want to slam your glove, I get it. If you you know need to kick something, I guess as long as you don't break your foot. I mean, we saw what happened to Wasgari Noah last mm-hmm. year, and I don't think he spent any time thinking about that. It's not like he pre-planned it, but he ended up breaking his hand, and that cost him a significant portion of the season. Now the plus for Chris Sale is he didn't hurt himself again in doing all of this, but you know he's kind of brushing it off, and I guess he can afford to, as I talked about earlier, but. I don't know. Just some of it just doesn't look like exactly the way that you would want your star level player to be uh, representing your franchise if you're the Red Sox. But, you know, again, stranger and worse things have happened in the history of baseball. So we'll move on here. And there was a very crazy and very scary scene for the Padres on Thursday. It was Jerickson Profar being carted off the field after colliding with C.J. Abrams. He took a knee to the side of the head as the two collided while trying to catch a pop fly in the shallow outfield. Profar was down several minutes before he was carted off, and he went to the hospital, was released later that night. Those things are good. He has been placed on the concussion IL, and the team has said that he is since feeling a lot better as much as you can, all things considered. But, Corey, anytime I see one of these, and obviously it's scary, and you, you hope for the best for the player that's going through it and that they'll be back on the field as quickly as possible, but I immediately think about that Mike Cameron and Carlos Beltran diving play where both of them dove headfirst after a ball and collided in the outfield for the Mets in 2005. That's probably one of the scariest plays I have ever seen because you literally had to sit there and hold your breath hoping those guys were all right. This was scary stuff with Profar. I mean, you you watch his uh, C.J. Abrams' knee collide with his head, and then he stands up, and you think he's going to be okay, uh, and then he just collapses. I mean, this was he's been playing really well on the, the other side of things. And for a team that's, you know, really just had a lot of injury issues, the, the, the Padres, but um, scary stuff, you know, uh, obviously, you know, th- at this point, you're just hoping that he can get back into the field sometime soon, but uh, positive news all around from a situation that didn't in the moment did not look like it was going to have a positive result. No, it looked extremely scary. And that's just one of those things when you go out there and you're going full tilt and, you know, you try to control yourself in the situations as much as you can, but sometimes, you know, the ball just, finds places where two players come together, and thankfully nobody was seriously injured with this, but a big-time scare for the Padres and for Profar, so we will join just about anybody else with sending our best out there that he can be back out on the field as soon as possible. Now, we're going to talk a lot about the All-Star game, and we've got some big All-Star news that will be happening in the hour in which we're doing this show because the reserves are being named for both the National League and the American League club, so we'll get an idea of what both these rosters look like. But Dave Roberts... Manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers is lobbying hard for Clayton Kershaw to start the All-Star game, which, of course, is in L.A. So here's what the Dodgers manager had to say to reporters as he lobbied for his guy to be on the mound in Dodger Stadium to start the All-Star game. And this is what he told reporters. You know, the game is for the fans, and it's just fitting that Clayton would get that opportunity. I respect Brian Snitker, who's managing the All-Star team, obviously, by winning the World Series, which Dave Roberts no doubt remembers. Uh, But I'd be crazy not to think that Clayton should be named the starter. All right. Well, while that's a nice story, and it'll be a nice moment if Clayton Kershaw is named an All-Star and he does get to pitch in Dodger Stadium, who really should start the All-Star game for the National League? Because if I'm making my list, it's going to be starting with a Dodger teammate in Tony Gonsolin, well, not, not even necessarily number one, but he's on the board. And then you got what Sandy Alcantara's doing, and I don't want to be a total homer, but Max Fried has also made, I think, a pretty good case to maybe be named starter here. And you got a lot of different ways this thing can go, but the nostalgia pick with Kershaw, I don't think that should be as much as a slam dunk as Dave Roberts is yeah, saying. Yeah, I'm not buying that at all. I mean, I, I, to me, Gonsolin, okay, fine. 11-0, he has the majors' best ERA at yeah. 162. But Sandy Alcantara, Gonsolin's thrown 88 and two-thirds innings. 
He's thrown 41 and two-thirds innings fewer innings than Sandy Alcantara has. Um, you would need, if you're Gonson, five and a half more games to reach the amount of innings that Alcantara's already Complete thrown this games. season. Complete games. And he's lowered his ERA. Alcantara did a 1-7-3 today. Um, I mean, give me the workhorse who's putting up big numbers. Gonsolin's thrown at least seven innings twice. Alcantara's in it 13 times, including three complete games. Now, the All-Star game, I feel like, and I've already told you, like, I love the nostalgia. I love the collection of the star power. I do. I would agree with you know what you said about what Josh Donaldson was saying. You can't fake it in this All-Star game. It's the best of all the All-Star exhibitions that you can put in any of the major sports. But, you know, I love the nostalgia to a certain point, but I also feel like it should be recognizing some guys that have statistically done enough to, in some cases, get to their first All-Star game. Maybe start the only All-Star game that they would ever start and you know, if you look at Clayton Kershaw, he's been to the All-Star game and pitched in one six times, and he's never started one, which is bizarre to think about hmm. because he spent about a five- or six-year span at least where he was the best pitcher on the planet. So I'm not sure what was going on. I know it's in Dodger Stadium. I hope he does get to throw an inning there if that's the way that it all shakes out. But I just I couldn't disagree more with Dave Roberts saying that, you know, he should be named the starter. All the respect for Clayton Kershaw. He is going to the Hall of Fame. Again, we talked about Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols being added to their respective rosters for the AL and National League, but you know this is just not the way that I would go with it. And let's wrap this up uh, here on 3-Up, three 3-Down three with this one. As we're going to be seeing the Mets next week, they had a very special Saturday ceremony as they retired Keith Hernandez, number 17. And as we know, he has a pretty decent Hall of Fame case. And obviously, his playing career means a lot to Mets fans, and so does his longtime broadcast career that's followed. But let's throw out another player or two who may not have gotten his due with the Hall of Fame, because I can certainly think of a few, and I'm going to start with the one I always start with, and that's Dale Murphy. I still feel like this is a guy who does have his number retired, who ought to have a plaque in Cooperstown. How about you, Corey? Yeah, I completely agree with you, and I think Fred McGriff is the other one. You yeah. think about a five-time All-Star, 493 home runs in an era where we had a lot of question marks about home runs and the guys that were hitting them. You don't have a lot of question marks about Fred McGriff. I think that's another guy. And obviously, Andrew Jones. We can go down oh, a yeah. huge rabbit hole here. We can. And a whole bunch of non-Braves as well that you know certainly deserve the distinction of being among those. And the crazy thing is, if they were to vote 12 more guys into the Hall of Fame, say, in the next class, and I'm talking about 12, they could probably – I did this math. You could vote 12 more guys in for like the next three years, and it still wouldn't change the Hall of Fame from being the top 1% to ever play the game. And if you really go down the roster of the Hall of Fame – and you look at how many guys are in there that their career began before 1950 and how many guys are in after 1950 as far as their career beginning, it's pretty crazy. And I have a hard time believing that the last 72 years of the game weren't as good as the first 70 or 80 years of the game because if you put today's players in those teams in those days, they would be even bigger monsters than some of them already are. And in the case of some who were maybe considered borderline Hall of Fame candidates, you know, playing against, you know, the past, it would be a lot different because we don't have a time machine here, but I think you can get what I'm getting at here. Yeah, and I know, you know, guys like, uh, you know, that we're talking about here with with Murphy and McGriff and either even Andrew Jones, I think eventually the era committees will get things, things right and they'll make up for some of the misgivings here from the writers. Yeah, that'll be good to see. There are some new Hall of Fame voting procedures that have come in over the past few years, and if they can get them there, that would certainly be something to be worth making a trip up to Cooperstown for. That wraps us up here on 3 Up and 3 Down, but it does not wrap us up here on From the Diamond. we got a lot to get to here as hour number two is right around the corner. We'll talk about the Braves and the Mets, their big-time matchup coming up at Truist Park this week, and we'll go around the big leagues and size up both divisional races. And that's next right here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Now back to more Graham McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. 
This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you. From the Kia Studios, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game is the place. If you like what you've been hearing on this show, we'd love if you'd subscribe to From the Diamond. You can do so wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. I am at Grant McCauley. Corey is at Corey J. McCartney, both of those on Twitter. You can also find us on Instagram. We're pretty easy to find there, and we'd appreciate a follow. And, of course, a subscription there for From the Diamond, where we're trying to bring you all the best Braves and baseball talk each and every week here and with Battery Power and so many other places. Corey, it's like we're Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker in a lot of ways. I like this. Let's start in the National League where we've got some news here, and let's lead it off on an all-star kind of a Sunday by talking about the Braves all-stars and then talking about the Braves and Mets showdown. We knew Ronald Acuna Jr. was in. Then we found out he's going to have four teammates joining him. Max Fried is going to be an all-star to the surprise of absolutely no one in this room or pretty much any room if you've watched him this year. William Contreras and Dansby Swanson and Travis Darno, all all-stars. You heard from the all-star Travis Darno. A little bit earlier on today's show. So, again, if you missed that, make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast. But I think all of us had kind of looked at it and said the Braves have a legitimate shot at about half a dozen All-Stars if we're being conservative. Austin Riley didn't make it. There's still some chance that some guys could be added before we get to the game in a couple of weeks. But uh, what's your reaction to the Braves All-Stars? So they've got five right now, right? And this is the, the most that they've had since 2003 when yep. they had six. Um, I, I thought maybe they might get there because I thought, you know, obviously you know, we had Acuna who led the All-National League players in voting. He got that automatic pass in the starting spot. Um, you had Contreras and Darno Swanson finish so high in the, in the phase one one getting onto that phase two felt like they were going to get there especially with you know the fact that you had uh, Bryce Harper who was leading the DH voting and ended up winning it injured and unable to play Max Fried felt like the obvious choice is starting in terms of pitchers but I think you could have made a strong case for Kyle Wright I think you could have made you know a strong case for Spencer Strider though I think the fact that he was transitioned to starting a little bit later maybe kind of hurt his uh, ability there but I think you know Austin Riley AJ Minter I think six was the kind of the magic number for me. Uh, but, you know, here we are talking about five, and, and there's nothing wrong with having five All-Stars. No, there's not. And Kyle Wright, I think, has a pretty strong All-Star case. Austin Riley does as well. You mentioned A.J. Mentor, though, for non-traditional relievers or guys who aren't closers, it doesn't seem like it's as easy to get into one of these games. But regardless, you have to feel pretty good about manager Brian Snitker of the World Series champion Atlanta Braves having five of his guys join him in the All-Star game as the full rosters were announced on Sunday. So Ronald Acuna Jr. will start it, and then four other guys, Dansby Swanson, Max Fried, William Contreras, and Travis Darno. Congratulations to all of those guys on being named National League All-Stars. Now let's talk about the Braves and the Mets a little bit, and we'll get to this, of course, a couple of times before we're out of here. Uh, but this is a big showdown this week, the first time these clubs have seen each other in two months, Corey, and it's worth noting they have 15 head-to-head meetings remaining this season. So as they say, the race is on. Yeah, I mean, this is you, they'll meet 12 times after the All-Star break. The next game's at Truist Park in a five-game series after this are August 4th to August 7th. Um, they'll get that last one September 30th through August 2nd. And I you feel like that could be a massive series in figuring out how this division is going to play out. But um, these pitching matchups are fantastic. Max Scherzer, Max Free starting things off. We know the Braves have had success against Scherzer. They've really mm-hmm. gotten to Chris Bassett and David Peterson, who are scheduled for those uh, next two games for the Mets. So, a team that's been red hot at the plate. Uh, I, I think this. I, I know Max Max Scherzer is Max Scherzer, but I think these these pitching matchups line up pretty well for the Braves. They do, and we talked about the success of the Braves rotation and the winning that Atlanta has been doing over the course of the last six weeks since June the first. 
you know, the starting pitching and really the last three or four weeks has completely and totally been, I feel like, the foundation. The offense has been equally impressive. And the offense was always something that when you looked at the 2022 Atlanta Braves, they were going to go as far as their offense would carry them is what most people will probably look at it as, but knowing that they had a sneaky good pitching staff as well and had felt like that they had done the things they needed to improve there. But now it feels like all of the things are coming together from the pitching side and on the hitting side as well. If you get Kenley Jansen back this week, you got your closer back in your bullpen, that should help out by default. Let's talk about these Braves starters for this series. Max Freed has a 694 OPS against the Mets. He's allowed four homers, two to Pete Alonso. Uh, Jeff McNeil has eight hits against him, and 848 OPS. Spencer Strider, the Mets have, ne- have not seen him this season. Both of his 2021 appearances were in October against the Mets. They have to be thinking to themselves, who in the world is this guy? Because this yeah. is not what we saw a year ago. And then Charlie Morton, his last five outings, a 1-6-0 ERA. Um, basically, though, when you look at all three of these guys, because Strider has allowed... Uh, a, you know, he, some issues, but I think Jeff McNeil is the guy that you got to watch out for in this series. Yeah, it'll be, uh, I think, a big showdown for these two teams, but just the first of several big showdowns with 15 games remaining. I mean, you, you might have wanted to look at this if you were, say, I don't know, hosting an overnight radio show in New York and say that the division was over when you went 10 and a half games up on June the 1st, but the Braves have now trimmed nine games Jeez. off the standings, just one and a half games between the first-place Mets and the second-place Braves as they begin this series. Let's look in the National League Central where the Milwaukee Brewers are holding up that top spot, and the Cardinals, they really hit the skids. We saw them here in Atlanta lose three out of four to the Braves. The Brewers haven't really cashed in heading into Sunday. They were just 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games, but with the Cardinals losing 8 out of 10, that kind of gave them some breathing room, despite the fact that the Brewers really haven't found that next gear either. I will say, though, Willie Adamas, 17 home runs. He's on pace to break Robin Yount's 40-year-old franchise home run record by a shortstop uh, set in 1982 with 29 the year he won uh, AL MVP. Don't forget AL back uh, in, the, yes. in the 80s there for the Brewers. But um, they've taken control. they got a nice test coming up this week against the Twins in a two-game series. Nights um, head-to-head there, division winners. Yeah, that's going to be the two uh, central divisions squaring off against one another. And I would say that those two divisions are remarkably similar as well because you got two teams kind of at the top. you got a bunch of other teams that aren't really big factors, though I guess you could still, I don't know, when we do this to ourselves every week, talk about the White Sox figuring it out because they don't seem to be um, of the mind to figure it out, at least not to this point. But, yeah, I mean, this central race, you got 11 and a half games back. The third-place Pittsburgh Pirates, who had them, climbing over the Cubs and the Reds, though all of those teams in some permeation of a rebuild. I mean, that that's just kind of where they are. But, you know, as far as the wild card is concerned, you know, the Brewers have one of those wild card spots. The Cardinals are now a game out of the third wild card. And if you look at what's going on in the National League East, then you see that the Braves have built up a nice five-and-a-half game lead for the top wild card spot with their eyes, of course, on what happens in the National League East race first and foremost. We look out in the West, we should not be surprised to see the Los Angeles Dodgers atop that division as they have won six in a row heading into Sunday, nine and one in their last ten, and the San Diego Padres, who are getting shellacked again by the Giants on Sunday, they have really, really kind of hit the skids at the wrong time because the Dodgers, in the midst of winning a whole bunch of games, has pushed them to seven games back as of Sunday. Yeah, I mean, everybody below the the Dodgers just feels like they're just scuffling in one way, shape, or form. I mean, you look at the Giants, and since, since June 19th, they've lost 14 of 18. Uh, they've dropped series to the Diamondbacks and the Padres. They've fallen back a real a far cry from a year ago when they were en route to 107 wins. Um, they're just fighting to stay above 500, but... Uh, 
hats off to Jock Peterson, who gets his gets a start in the All-Star game. Carlos Rodon has been very, very good. Those two pickups have been great. But this team's defense, they are 30th in, with minus 32 outs above average. Um, they've not been able to out-hit their mistakes. That was the way that they got things done a year ago was st- good starting pitching and some great defense behind them. Uh, the Giants in a bad way right now as they've really fallen out of sorts in terms of that wild-card race. Yeah, they really have. They've lost 8 out of 10. They are putting the boots to the Padres on Sunday afternoon, but that, you know, between those two clubs, it's just kind of a war of attrition, and the Dodgers can look back and say, all right, well, either way, we win because somebody's beating up on the other one. You're either beating up on the one we really don't like, or excuse me, the one we don't like, which would be the Padres, or the ones we really don't like, which would be the Giants in the case of that. I talked about this wild card a little bit, but it's kind of worth looking at as we approach the All-Star break, and we have a lot more focus on exactly what the National League wild card does look like and the fact that, you know, you talk to anybody with the Braves. You heard from Travis Darno earlier on the show. They're not thinking about the wild card. I mean, that is what it is. It is a an entry into October. They're thinking about winning the National League East, and now they have this possibility of being in first place in the National League East as soon as, what, Tuesday, if they win the first couple of games of the series. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. And, again, we'll talk a lot about that, but five and a half games up in the wild card standings. The Padres still hold that second spot, though they have fallen back closer to the pack. And the Philadelphia Phillies have moved into the third spot. They've got their all-star slugger. No, not Bryce Harper, but Kyle Schwarber putting on a pretty good show for him. And surprisingly, despite dumping their manager and losing Bryce Harper, the Philadelphia Phillies have shown a little bit of staying power, a little bit of fight as far as the postseason picture is concerned. This week, they've been a season-high seven games over 500. You mentioned they're in a wild-card spot right now. I mean, Kyle Schwarber is just... Yeah, just unbelievable damage. 17 home runs, you know, 134, uh, you know, OPS... Um, just, I mean, the, the fact that they're getting this out of him at the the most opportune time, he was obviously red hot last summer. He went through this uh, same thing before he ended up getting hurt in July, but that four-year, $79 million deal to him, I mean, he has the most home runs by a Phillies player at this stage of a season in franchise history. He's closing in on Mike Schmidt's first half Phillies record of 31 homers in 1979. Um the next couple of weeks, though, that is going to be really interesting for them because are they going to be able to stay in contention? Are they going to add? We know that there's an expectation that Harper's going to come back. That bullpen has been a major, major issue for them. I think if you start looking for a team that's going to be upgrading in that department, it's going to be the Phillies. It definitely could be. They've got a couple of good starters in Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler leading the charge there. They're always looking for bullpen help. That's been the Achilles heel of the Phillies for the last few years, and it certainly was in 2021 when they were trying to catch the Braves down the stretch. They just needed a better bullpen. They could not find the outs that they needed to get over that hump. Now, a lot of guys that we've talked about in today's show, including Kyle Schwarber, are going to be National League All-Stars. We already know that starting lineup that's been announced. You've got uh, Wilson Contreras behind the plate of the Cubs, Paul Goldschmidt at first base of the Cards. you got the Marlins' Jazz Chisholm elected to start at second, though he is injured right now. Manny Machado of the Pods at third base. Trey Turner, the shortstop of the Dodgers, edged out Dansby. Bryce Harper elected as a DH. He was injured. Ronald Acuna Jr., Jacques Peterson, now with the Giants, and Mookie Betts, of course, of the Dodgers, rounds out that starting nine in the outfield. The reserves were named today. We gave you the Braves, William Contreras, I think one of the biggest and most surprising names to go on that list. Here are a few of the others. It's Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals, Pete Alonso, first baseman of the Mets, we talked about Albert Pujols of the Cardinals being a special selection. Jeff McNeil, the Mets second baseman, also made it. Travis Darno, Braves catcher. C.J. Crone of the Rockies at first base. Dansby Swanson of the Braves. Kyle Schwarber of the Phillies. Juan Soto of the Nationals. Starling Marte, outfielder of the Mets. And Ian Happ of the Cubs all made it. Now, the starting pitchers, and this is going to be an interesting discussion that we'll get into, I'm sure, a little bit more over the next few weeks when we finally get some clarity on who's going to do it. 
But Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers did make this squad. Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins also. Corbin Burns, the reigning Cy Young winner from the Brewers. Luis Castillo of the Reds. Max Fried, uh, Tony Gonsolin, also of the Dodgers. And then Joe Musgrove of the Padres round out the starting pitchers. you got Edwin Diaz of the Mets, Josh Hader of the Brewers, Ryan Helsley of the Cardinals, David Bednar of the Pirates, and Joe Mantiply, the lefty of the Diamondbacks, that rounds out the pitching staff for Brian Snitker's National League All-Star squad. Uh, not a lot of surprise names on there in terms of guys who you wouldn't see to have made it, but I was a little surprised. There was no Aaron Nola, no Zach Wheeler, no Austin Riley. It was a little surprising to me. I, I hated that Cal Wright didn't get it, at least on the first nod, but you know, there's only so many spots on the club, and hopefully there's always more than two dozen players having a good year across Major League Baseball in each league. Yeah, I mean, that's always the thing, right? And you have to take in consideration that that roster uh, crunch that you have there and needing to make sure that everybody is represented. Every so team. that's why you have Joe Mantiply, you know, from the Diamondbacks there, uh, being a part of that relief core. I mean, it's why you have Luis Castillo, who has really been, I mean, fantastic, and probably going to end up being traded yeah. from the Reds there among the starting pitchers. So there's the, that's always an element of it. But I, I think because of the fact that the Braves have had so many guys, I think, again, you could have just made a long list of expected all-stars. And it's okay to feel like these guys are being snubbed. It's okay to feel like at this moment that Austin Riley should be there, that Kyle Wright should be there, that, yeah. that A.J. Minter should be there because they've been that good. And that, that's why we're talking about them being in the position they are going to this Mets series. Well, it's really – it shows you what the Braves accomplished last year, the fact that you know, now all of baseball knows who Austin Riley is. So hopefully a lot of people will take notice to the fact that he is not on the squad as he is currently second in the National League in home runs and one of the hottest hitters in baseball here in the month of July. He has just continued to strengthen his case. He's the only hitter in baseball with 20 or more doubles and 20 or more home runs. Now, I could go on and on and on, but, you know, nobody's going to, you know, change the way that this um, that this roster is shaped up right now just based on my show or anybody else's show. But, you know, there's always going to be the case where you wish that there were a couple of more spots. And in particular, I think Austin Riley would probably be the top one for me of the Braves that didn't make it. It would have been nice to see him uh, be able to make it. But that pretty much lines up our look at the National League All-Stars as well as our look across the National League where the Braves and Mets have their big showdown for first place in the NL East. Forthcoming on Monday, you've got the Brewers atop the Central, the Dodgers atop the West. And that is a look at the National League. When we come back, we will size up the American League as we take our trip around the big leagues right here on From the Diamond as we continue on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Baseball. Talking Braves and beyond. Baseball. With From the Diamond, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back as we continue Hour 2 of From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We got to turn our attention to the American League, but don't worry. We'll be getting you set for that big Braves and Mets matchup that begins on Monday. Three games to decide who leaves in first place in the National League East, and that is not overselling it whatsoever. A game and a half now between the Braves and the Mets as Atlanta was able to sweep away the Washington Nationals, and the Miami Marlins were nice enough to help out the Braves by taking a, make, or getting a split of a four-game series against the Mets, so it all worked out. And that's the math that has the Braves a game and a half back. we got a lot to talk about when it comes to that. But as far as the American League is concerned, we'll start in the East where the Yankees are battling the Red Sox at Fenway over the weekend. The battle for the division, though, Corey, as we've talked about, continues to be one that's an uphill climb for other clubs in the East. I love, though, this Baltimore Orioles story we were talking about a little bit earlier. They're still in last place, so let's not just overshoot this. But when you look at the landscape of the American League East and you find out that the fifth place, the last place team, 
is a game under 500. It just tells you how strong that entire division is. Well, when you talk about all three wild card spots in the American League belonging to the American League East, Correct. and the fact that the Yankees this this was the earliest in any year that they've held a division lead of at least 15 games. We obviously know Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, both starting in the outfield for the A on the All-Star game. They are the first Yankee outfielders to earn fan-elected starts since Ricky Henderson and Dave Winfield in 1988. This team is power-packed. I wonder how long it would take people to remember that Ricky Henderson, A, was a Yankee, because a lot of people may just not think of that, though he did spend a good chunk of the 80s playing for New York until he was traded back to the Athletics, but... If you had said what two Yankees outfielders, you might not have come up with Winfield and Henderson. You might have come up with Maris and Mantle or some other big-time Yankees outfield duo that you could maybe go back into the Babe Ruth era. But, wow, Winfield and Henderson, I probably would not have gotten that one. All right, well, I'm— What year was that? 1988. 1988. I got plenty of 1988 tops cards of both of those guys, which are worth about next to nothing. <laughs> I think we all got about a dozen and a half of those, right? Our kids' kids will be opening 1988 tops. That's right. Please understand when I tell you that that was a very, very much overproduced era of the baseball card or sports card collecting industry or just cards in general. That, of course, has nothing to do with what else is happening in the East, where the Red Sox are the second-place team. Uh, they haven't really been able to make up any ground whatsoever, but they are firmly in control of a wild-card spot, as are the Rays, as are the Blue Jays. But then you got that two-and-a-half games back for the Baltimore Orioles to be in at least shouting distance of a wild card as we approach the All-Star break. I don't think too many people had that on their list of things they expected to see this year. No, not at all. And again, I mentioned earlier, this team didn't seem like it was going to have a lot to be excited about. The Adley Rutschman promotion seemed like, okay, you're starting to see signs of this team is is the pieces that acquired during this really rough rebuild are starting to pop up, and that seemed to be the only positive they might have, but they, they are playing some really good baseball right now. They definitely are. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but let's look over in the Central where the Twins and the Guardians, they have both played better this season than they have lately, and as a result, they're not really making things altogether that interesting in this race, and they're not making it that hard to get for the other one, but I would say that the Guardians, as of late, have suffered some Uh, Very unfortunate losses. In particular, you mentioned a sweep at the hands of the Detroit Tigers. That was not on their wish list as they were trying to get at or near first place heading into the All-Star break. The one thing I'm really looking at with them is Shane Bieber. You think about the shortened 2020 season, wins the AL Cy Young, a 1.63 ERA, 14.2 Ks per nine. He is a 3-4-4 ERA now. That case per nine has dropped to 9-2-2. He's gotten really slider happy, uh, but you look at the 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 forcing with him, getting hammered, 309 uh, batting average, 364 weighted on base average. At his height, he was 218 batting average with that pitch. Lost four miles per hour on the forcing. What Whoa. happened to Shane Bieber, I think, is a big question mark for the Four Guardians. miles an hour yeah. is more than just, hey, I had a lax offseason or, hey, I'm getting a little bit older. Four miles an hour is a pretty big drop. The fact that he's pitching every fifth day, having lost that kind of velocity, I, I guess you just have checked it out and there's nothing structurally wrong with him, but finding that four miles an hour or being forced to reinvent yourself, that's one of those things where he just feels like he's too young to be dealing with that kind of loss in velocity. This isn't a guy that went from 27 years old to 37 years old since that 2020 season. Two and a half games out of the wild card spot. You start talking about the Orioles and where they are. They are tied with the Guardians right now in terms of the wild card uh, standing. So are are the Guardians a team that we didn't look at as a really even a contender in that division? Are they going to be aggressive at the deadline? Because I think... As I mentioned, that rotation help, I think, is going to be a major piece for them at the deadline. Now, here becomes the problem with the trade deadline, and in particular, the Cleveland Guardians, as they have shown over the past however many years, 
they've been trading away a lot of their foundational assets, whether it was Corey Kluber or Francisco Lindor or Mike Clevenger. You know, they have had some pretty strong pieces that, you know, I'm not going to tell you that Corey Kluber is the difference maker and, you know, why the Guardians aren't in first place this year or not. But trading away Lindor was certainly a big departure for that club. So I just start to wonder, even though they signed Jose Ramirez to that long-term extension, which is quite team-friendly, considering he's one of the three or four best players in the game, are they going to actually open up the purse strings and spend money to add to this club? Because it will take prospects and presumably money if you're going out and getting quality players, or do you want to trade your top prospects for guys that you don't feel like are controllable long-term assets? They've got a glutton of guys in the middle infield, and a lot of guys that, that are right there on the cusp of being major league ready. I think that's where it could happen, right? You could move, you could free things up, you could go out and get, and it, they're not going to go out and get Castillo, uh, Tyler Malley, or Frankie Montas, but they could go out and get you know, a, a, one of the guys out in Arizona, even a Madison Bumgarner, somebody who can bring some gravitas to that rotation and, and kind of free that up a little bit. But can you get the Diamondbacks to front some of the $40 million? Well, yeah. Somebody asked me about Madison Bumgarner. Would the Braves be interested in a left-handed starter? And the way the Braves rotation is pitching, and I know Ian Anderson can be a question mark at times, and I know that Sunday was a bit of a mixed bag, but I don't want the Braves spending $40 million on Madison Bumgarner that they could spend someplace else, including extending some of the guys that they have in-house right now or getting somebody that I think could make a better impact or bigger impact for what the Braves might actually be looking for. And still, we're three or four weeks away from when the trade deadline really comes down. I guess we're three weeks away from when it's going to come down because it's in early August. But that does not look like a guy that I'm going out because this is a name. This is not a guy who has pitched up to that pedigree in about four or five years. You look at his contract, $23 million he's due next year. You know, We talked about this with the Jacob deGrom issue. The Braves have never gone to that degree uh, yeah. for any player, let alone in over the, you know, on the wrong side of his career starting pitcher. So he's under contract through the 2024 season. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see the Braves being in the, the market for Madison Bumgarner, no. but I do think he's a name that could be dealt if the Diamondbacks are willing to eat some of that contract. Yeah, if they're able to eat a percentage of it, similar to what they had to do with Zach Greinke, I mean, that could be one way that he gets moved out of the desert and perhaps to some other team. And I'm not saying that he can't be somebody's fourth or fifth starter, but if you're looking for Madison Bumgarner to be the guy he was in the World Series with the Giants in the middle of the last decade, I think that you might be asking a bit too much at this time. Looking out west, I think this has been one of the most just crazy divisions. I mean, with the ups and downs that we've seen, the Houston Astros have won 8 out of 10. They have a 12-game lead in the division as of Sunday. They did get bad news as Jordan Alvarez landed on the injured list with what's been some persistent inflation in his right uh, – inflammation. Not inflation. Inflammation <laughs> too. in his right hand. We're all dealing with inflation, and I'm sure he is too, though it's probably not as big a problem. Uh, that aside, this is a big hitter that the Astros would be without. They hope for it to be a short stint on the IL, though. I mean, he's having a monster year. 201 way to run credit plus, 26 homers, a 4-0 fan graph war. But that's not really – I mean, not having him is a problem. But the big issue with this lineup has been Yuli Gurriel. The winner of the last two batting titles is a 0.0 war player right now. He's hitting 233, nearly 80 points lower than last year. You look at Josh Bell with the Nationals, who the Braves have seen the last three days, the Diamondbacks' Christian Walker. I think if the Astros are going to do something for this lineup, because he's the only player in that lineup with at least 250 plate appearances that hitting below league average. So... I think if they're going to do something, the Astros, that's probably going to be at an upgrade at first base. I tell you, if you had told me, like in a trivia question, like who won the batting title in the AL last year, I would not have had Yuli Gurriel. <laughs> I'm not saying he had them. a bad year, but um, yeah, I would not have guessed him as a batting title finalist in any year. But 
be that as it may, losing Jordan Alvarez for any amount of time is not something that's going to help the Astros out. They do have that 12-game lead, which can be helpful when a team like the Mariners goes on the kind of tear it's finally gone on. Seattle with seven consecutive wins uh, heading through Sunday, 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. They're within a game of a wild-card spot. That's a big deal for this club because they had high hopes that not only were they going to be pushing in the wild-card discussion, but that they were also maybe going to give the Houston Astros and whoever else a run for their money out west. That hasn't materialized yet. There's a lot of baseball left to be played. They're two games over 500 uh, past the statistical midway point of the season. So that is trending in the right direction. But there have been so many things around the Mariners and particularly all the players they went out and got where you kind of wondered if anything was ever going to click for them. So finally above 500 for the first time since May 2nd. They're now two games above that line. The, these past two weeks, Julio, Julio Rodriguez has been the third best hitter in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had three in the top 25. Cal Raleigh. His turnaround, by the way, coincided with changing his walk-up music to outcast the way you move, pandering to Atlanta with that, that move right there. Eugenio Suarez has been a, uh, in that top 25 as well. They've been a top-six offense. Robbie Ray, a .80 ERA over his last five starts with 40 strikeouts. They are back within striking distance in that wild-card spot. Um, they are un- they are under 500 against winning teams. In the last week, they've won series against the Padres, Blue Jays. They end the second half with the Nationals and Rangers. They could be in postseason possession, a uh, position, excuse me, by the next time that we're talking. Which would be a pretty big deal for that whole group because there was a lot that had to go right to get them out of the hole that they had dug their way into. So, And now let's take a look at the American League All-Stars because that certainly is worth – Sizing up now that we know what this should look like a little bit more to remind you the starters uh, in the fan election were Alejandro Kirk of the Blue Jays catching, Blue Jays first baseman Vladimir Guerrero. You have Jose Altuve at second base of the Astros, Rafael Devers of the Red Sox at third base, Tim Anderson, the White Sox shortstop. Shohei Otani won the DH voting, so he's there and could conceivably pitch in that, I would assume, as well. Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees, and they will flank Mike Trout center fielder of the Angels. That's your fan-elected starters. Uh, taking a look at the reserves, you have Jordana Alvarez of the Astros, a DH. Miguel Cabrera was added of the Tigers in that special selection by the commissioner. Red Sox Xander Bogarts, Jose Ramirez of the Guardians. You have Jose Trevino, the catcher from the Yankees. Luis Arise of the Minnesota Twins. Andres Jimenez of the Guardians, the second baseman. You have George Springer of the Blue Jays, Byron Buxton, of the Twins, the Royals' Andrew Benintendi, he's been a nice player this year and somebody who conceivably could get traded before the deadline. Wouldn't be surprising. Astros' Kyle Tucker and fellow outfielder Julio Rodriguez, the rookie stalwart of the Mariners who round out the position players. As far as pitchers are concerned, Shane McClanahan of the Reds, Nestor Cortez of the Yankees, Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays, Framber Valdez of the Astros, Martin Perez of the Rangers, Paul Blackburn, the reliever for the A's, Garrett Cole of the Yankees, Justin Verlander of the Astros, and Shohei Otani also listed as a pitcher on this roster. Clay Holmes, the reliever for the Yankees, has been very good this year. Emmanuel Clase of the Guardians, Gregory Soto of the Tigers, and Jorge Lopez of the Orioles round out the American League All-Stars. Anybody jump out there to you or anybody surprise you that they're not on this list? So if you're listening, obviously, I really like advanced metrics, but I'm very stunned. I did not know that. (laughs) I am very stunned that in the American League, you're missing Kevin Gaussman, who is the American League pitching leader in Fangraph 4. And in the National League, you're missing Carlos Rodon, who is the National League leader in Fangraph 4. I am. I'm really, honestly, that that to me is one of the biggest surprises that we're that we're not talking about Gosman and he's missed his last couple starts. He had an ankle contusion. They're looking at him. He was supposed to start today. 
Hopefully he's going to make his next start on Tuesday. Uh, but Rodon has been really good at 2.70 ERA. Yep. When you talk about who made it in terms of National League starting pitchers, I, I'm I'm just honestly I think that to me is one of the most surprising things that we're talking about. These two guys missing the cut. And I know that the Giants have been a disappointment this season, coming off 107 wins. It's hard not to be a little disappointing the next year. But Jock Peterson, if I'm looking at this correctly, is the only National League also. Well, of course, the National League, the only All Star for the Giants on this roster thus far. Yeah, I mean, then maybe this changes, you know, maybe because you always have that issue with the the pitchers where it just times out when a guy's start happens that they're not going to be able to throw any innings and somebody else falls into place. So maybe we see Rodon get the nod there with it, you know, being in Southern California. Uh, maybe the same thing happens for Gosman because you know, all these starting pitchers is going to line up where someone's mm-hmm. not going to be able to make some innings. So yep. maybe things end up writing themselves. Yeah, it certainly could. It would not be altogether surprising. But when somebody throws as well as a Kevin Gosman has thrown or as well as Carlos Rodon has thrown, you would assume that they would find their way onto the staff if they are you know, able to, if it doesn't time out to where it's safe. I think there's actually there's that rule, right, that if you've thrown in the final game or two before the All-Star game, that yeah, they go ahead out. and yep. replace you, that you're out because they don't want any arm injuries in the All-Star game, and that makes an awful lot of sense. So that's a look at the American League All-Stars and the American League races. Yankees on top in the East. It is Minnesota in the Central, Houston out West, and then your wildcard teams, Red Sox, Rays, and Blue Jays just ahead of the Mariners and the surprising Baltimore Orioles. When we come back, we will size things up for what's ahead for the Braves. We all know it's the showdown we've been waiting for. Braves, Mets, three-game series at Truist Park starts on Monday. We've got you covered right here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I love baseball. Now back to more Grant McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back into From the Diamond. We're in our home stretch here, round and third, I guess we could say. We got a lot of good stuff to get into here because we have ourselves a very big series between the Braves and the Mets. We're going to break it down here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you as we wrap up this show with uh, perhaps the thing that everyone's been waiting for, I think, Corey, since really the Braves went on that 14-game winning streak, and that is when they meet the Mets again, and no song is necessary for this, but when they meet the Mets again, what is it going to look like? How much were they going to be able to shave off the divisional lead if anything, because the Mets had played so well up to that point. Well, the Mets came back down to earth. They're what, I believe, three games over 500 since June the 1st. The Braves, meanwhile, over 20 games over 500 in the interim have shaved nine games off of the standings, going from 10.5 back to 1.5 back. And we have ourselves a marquee pitching matchup in the opener of this series. So I guess if I have a question of anything is, are you ready? I am absolutely right. I mean, this is going to, I mean, this feels like the postseason uh, in the middle of July. Uh, you know, I think we talked so much about what's happened over the last few weeks and litmus tests and, you know, when when was it going to feel like, you know, this team had, had gotten to the point where you felt like, okay, they're ready to challenge for the National League East lead. Um, the Mets, obviously, you know, for a long period of time were able to take it, you know, to, to play above their profile uh, offensively and make up for a pitching staff that was not 100% healthy. They've certainly got Max Scherzer back in the fold now. He's going to take the ball on Monday night opposite uh, Max Freed. So everything sort of has positioned itself where the winner of this series could leave with the division lead, which I think is the best thing you could possibly have said uh, if you had this conversation a month and a half ago for the Braves that they'd be in this position right now. Yeah, I don't think you could have imagined that you would be in this position right now until you got into, I don't know, maybe August at the earliest, because when you think about a 10-and-a-half game lead 
how long it takes and how many teams never come back from that in the division. You get down by 10 games. You get down by double digits. You want to have as much of the season left so that you can chip away at it. But the Braves didn't just chip away at it. They walked up to it like an ice sculpture and like they were a blow dryer. And they just melted this thing within about six weeks. And that's a crazy thing to think about because it does not happen very often in the game of baseball where a lead can go away that quickly. I think the only thing that's even close to this that we've seen this year, of course, was out in the AL West when the Angels fell as uh, on about as hard at times as you can fall on. And the Astros just remembered they were the Astros and went on a long winning streak and took that division over. But this is the kind of thing that we haven't seen too much in the National League East, I'll say that. And I'll say, too, there had been some talk about, okay, are the Mets going to collapse? Is this going to be like last season and, and the Braves are just going to watch this Mets team give up this lead and, right. and be in a position to take advantage of it? They have not played bad baseball. I mean, the, the month of June, they were a game above five hundred. In July, they're 6-3. You know, they're and three. The fact that the Braves have just been so ungodly good is the reason mm-hmm. that we're having this conversation because if the Braves had been you know, a 500 team, you know, just a, just below 500, you're not talking about this because it's not as though the Mets have just completely disappeared. No. They've just been okay and good enough while the Braves have been fantastic. They've been a little bit better than a 500 team, which is, you know, at some point in your season, you're going to go through a stretch of your schedule where you're not going to play 750 baseball because nobody's been able to do that over the course of a long season. And, you know, everybody's going to win 54. They're going to lose 54 is what happens in the other 54. That really tells the story of how your season's going to go. But for the Braves to do it this quickly, I think has got, you know, the Mets have to be feeling like the heat has been turned up on them because while I'm sure that Buck Showalter hasn't walked in one single day and thought this division race is over, I bet that he's looking a little bit more closely at everything that is happening with his club. And you consider what went on over the weekend. Starling Marte is banged up. Uh, They lost uh, James McCann to the injured list as well. And I believe it's uh, Jeff McNeil is going to be on paternity leave, if I'm not mistaken, at least for one or two of these games in this series. So, you know, the Mets are not actually coming in, or, or they're not coming in here, you know, with the full assortment of everybody they would like to have that was available to them even when the weekend began. And obviously, they're still waiting on Jacob Degrom to get back too. Yeah. But I, I mentioned since June first, the Mets are nineteen and fifteen. The Braves are twenty eight and eight. So that's your swing right there. That tells you that the Mets have been fine. They've been four games above five hundred in that span. But the Braves have played twenty games above five hundred, which is yeah. absolutely insane. It's it's a pace that you just. I mean, you want to find a fourteen game winning streak in any season. I don't care what your place in the standings is. You know, not everybody gets a fourteen game winning streak. I mean, the yeah. Braves had not had another winning streak of of more than three games outside of that 14-game winning streak. That's something pretty crazy to think about. They would win three, but then that would be about as far as it was going to get. The 14-game winning streak was the big outlier. And if you look at where the Braves are in the standings, they came into the day 16 games over 500. I tweeted this out before the game. You might be wondering when the 2021 Braves got to 16 games above 500. Well, the answer is never. They got to 15 games over on the final day of the season when they had pretty much salted away the division at that point. They had already clinched and and were going to be going to the playoffs, but that is the point to which they got to 15 games over. This is the most games over 500 they they've been since 2019, and this is a club that looks like it is starting to hit on all cylinders and getting some of its key players back. We talked about Eddie Rosario. We talked about Tyler Matzik, uh, Kenley Jansen right around the corner. We hope that he's back at some point, perhaps during this Mets series. These are all things that are going to make the Braves that much better. And then we circle back to, and let's get into these starting pitching matchups. You've got Max Fried pitching as well as Max Fried has pitched at any point in his career. He has been stellar. He's going to be matched up with Max Scherzer in Game 1. You've got Spencer Strider throwing for the Braves in Game 2. I believe David Peterson gets the start 
for the New York Mets. And then Charlie Morton getting the ball in Game 3 against Chris Bassett, who's coming off the COVID IL to make the start against the Braves. But Max Fried's pitching the best baseball of his life. Spencer Strider is pitching the best baseball of his life, and that is not an, uh, an exaggeration, and we don't know how much better he might get. That's the scary thing. He has been that good. And then you've got Charlie Morton over the past four or five weeks really riding the ship for him and looking like the Charlie Morton the Braves expected. I mean, this is a rotation that you and I talked a lot about. Who has the best rotation in the National League? Putting health aside, like if you have your guys out there, who has the best? The answer right now is the Atlanta Braves. And Charlie Morton, his last five outings, a 1-6-0 ERA, 42 strikeouts to eight walks. He has a 5-16 OPS that he's held the Mets to, so he's been had a lot of success against that team. Uh, Chris Bassett, you mentioned David Peterson. Bassett, the Braves, have a collective 741 OPS against him. Austin Riley has the only home run, but uh, Travis Darnot, Riley, uh, Orlando Arcia all have at least two hits against him. David Peterson, a near 800 OPS against him. Acuna, over 1,000 with a homer. Riley, 1,300. Adam Duvall, 2,200 OPS. So they have feasted on uh, David Peterson. So I will say the, the one thing if you're the Mets – and you talk about Jeff McNeil and the, the paternity leave. You've got uh, Jacob DeGrom not in the fold right now. Uh, this is not going to be the optimum version of the Mets. So if the Braves end up wrestling away the division lead during this time period, if you're the Mets, you can say, okay, well, we this time wasn't the real version of us. The last time we saw the Braves, it wasn't the real version of them. This will not be the optimum version of the Mets. Maybe we, maybe we never see that this season with all the uh, ebbs and flows of injuries in, in Major League Baseball. But right now, this is not the Mets at full strength, but it's a real opportunity for the Braves. It may not be, but it is absolutely that for the Braves. And then if you're the Mets, though, you can't necessarily look at this series and just you know push it away with the excuse of, well, this wasn't the optimum version of us because – where are the other nine games in the standings go? I mean, everybody's gone through it. I mean, the Braves went through it for the first, you know, month, two months nearly of the season. If you call April a full month, it really wasn't. But, you know, the first six weeks of the season did not go the way the Braves wanted it to. But things have had a way of evening out for Atlanta, and things have had a way of evening out in the other direction for the Mets. You mentioned some of the uh, key performers who have, you know, had some good success against some of these Mets starters. But Austin Riley, in his young career against the New York Mets, 12 home runs, that is tied for his most against any club in his uh, in his career thus far, 12 homers against the Phillies as well, 10 against the Washington Nationals. But, you know, he has hit the Mets up for a 982 OPS lifetime. So he has enjoyed facing the New York Mets. And, you know, the other thing about Max Scherzer is, you know, he could go out there and he could throw seven or eight innings of 10 or 11 strikeouts and be absolutely dominant and be Max Scherzer. He has had problems historically against the Braves, against whom he is, what, 10 and 9 with an ERA, just under four lifetimes. So, this is not necessarily the slam dunk of Max Scherzer has always dominated the Braves. They never have a chance against him. And with the way Max Fried is pitching, you definitely have a chance to take the opener of that series. This is a, a pretty much a must-see matchup among a must-see series for Braves fans. And what's your last visual recollection of Max Scherzer pitching against the Braves? Well, it's not him, seeing him. It's was... him, him saying, I'm done. I, yep. I can't throw anymore. And that wasn't, that's not the guy that with this bulldog mentality that we think about when we think about Max Scherzer. Um, you, you mentioned Austin Riley, and I mean, he, this could not be coming at a better time for him. You look since June 30th. He's hitting almost 500, 488, mm-hmm. leads all major league uh, hitters, leads the majors with 10 extra base hits in that span, 13 home runs, a 950 slugging percentage, 
all, you know, I mean, 30 on base percentage. He's playing out of his mind right now and is coming in at a, a fantastic time against some pitchers that he has had some success against. Yeah, he has absolutely been on fire for the past almost two weeks. He had a great homestand. He punctuated it with a walk-off against the Washington Nationals on Sunday. Had a couple of big home runs in that series. He has been playing some great baseball. I want to throw in this little side note if you're looking for one more Braves and Mets kind of crossover for this one. The Braves traded for Robinson Cano, who was actually out with the Padres. This is a minor league deal for cash considerations. The Mets are paying most of the $24 million that Robinson Cano was owed this year as they cut him loose a little bit earlier. But uh, this would appear to just be a little bit of AAA depth for the Braves as they still are dealing with life without Ozzie Albies at second base. And you'll take a flyer on a guy like Cano. The Padres clearly did. It didn't really pay off, didn't work that much, and has little to no impact on this series. But if you told me at any point this season – Atlanta Brave Robinson Cano, even in the organization, I would have said, this sounds a lot like Atlanta Brave Ryan Howard a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, and that obviously didn't last but a few days no, with him not. being in Gwinnett. But, but if you have that conversation five years ago, we're thinking, man, Robinson Cano in a Braves uniform would be pretty nice. But um, I, I, this matchup is going to be fantastic. I mean, these are two really good offenses. The Mets are fourth in, in uh, Fangraph War. The Braves are fifth. Obviously, we know the the offense, uh, the, the power potential of this Braves team. The Mets are eighth in starting rotation. The Braves are fifth. The Braves have the number one bullpen. Edwin Diaz, the Mets closer, leads the majors with 17.82K per nine. So I think so many levels of this just sets itself up. I, I just I hope these next three games are as good as they they, they looked that they could be on paper. Yeah, ten and nine for Max Scherzer with a 3.88 ERA in 157 and two thirds innings against the Atlanta Braves lifetime. So. You know, he's been good some days, and other days the Braves have certainly had his number, and that's just how things are going to be going in the opener of that series. Max Fried against Max Scherzer, that one's going to be a lot of fun. Now, Spencer Strider, meanwhile, he has been a guy piling up strikeouts like nobody else in baseball at a rate that nobody else in baseball is. He got over the century mark. The Braves now have four pitchers with 100 or more strikeouts this year. No other team has more than two. But for Spencer Strider, this is going to be, a, I think, a fun test for him as well because he's going to be facing a team in the heat of a pennant race now. And if he needed any other reason to just get extra fired up or just uh, click it into a next gear, if he has one of those, which is really scary for opposing hitters, this would certainly be the start to do it. We know he is fastball slider heavy. The Mets are among the top seven in weighted fastball runs above average, but they struggle against the slider. They're a negative team there. Collectively, though, I mentioned leaving alone Jeff McNeil. He's obviously going to miss a couple games with paternity leave, but he's a, a, just a mere 347 weighted on base average against that pitch. So I think what Spencer Strider does really well I think this is a matchup where he looks to be poised for success. Uh, but, uh, again, that Mets team can hit the fastball, but he's going to have to be on with that slider against So you're group. saying Spencer Slider That's right. needs to make this start, and I, I appreciate it because I appreciate a good pun. David Peterson, meanwhile, has been knocked around by the Braves and a handful of starts against him lifetime. But Charlie Morton against Chris Bassett, because it could all come down to who's going to take the finale of the series, and that could let you know who's going to leave town in first because if the Braves take – you know, the first couple of games, they could take over first place. But if they don't win that final game, they would seed first place back to the Mets, if that makes sense. I mean, in any order, that's basically how it is. For the Braves to be in first place when this thing's over, 
They have to win all three games. Charlie Morton uh, has struggled against Pete Alonso. He has a 900 OPS against him. He's also, like we've talked about with everybody else here, has struggled against Jeff McNeil, so leave, again, leave him alone. But uh, Charlie Morton has, has been on a nice streak for him. He's found success again with that curveball. Everything seems to be you know, working off that, getting a lot of swings and misses on that pitch. But um, I, I think that's the guy that you, it, it, for the Braves, if, you, if it can't be free, that's the guy that you want out there if this series is, and then potentially the division lead is going to come down to. Uh, you're very comfortable with that being Charlie Morton. Now the Braves, with all this great offense that they've shown since June the 1st, now have the best run differential in the National League East as well. So when you talk about how is that happening, well, it's not because they're scoring 10 every night. It's because they're getting the great pitching and they're getting a whole bunch of runs as well. So everything really clicking for the Braves right now, including getting back a couple of key players in Eddie Rosario and Tyler Matzik to go with what has been a good starting rotation, a great starting rotation, honestly, not to sell them short. And you've got three of your best starters going out there against the first-place club. If you're going to line it all up, this is pretty much the way the Braves have wanted to look. This is the way the Braves have operated for the, since June 1st is this great starting pitching, not allowing home runs, hitting tons of them. Their current differential between home runs hit and allowed is plus 115, which would be the biggest of any team in Major League history, the pace they're on. Uh, they got a major test coming up these next three days. Well, it's going to be an awful lot of fun, and we will have you covered here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game throughout the week. You can catch my reports, and of course, you can catch From the Diamond every Sunday here. Corey, as always, it was an absolute pleasure. Dom Shirosky, appreciate you keeping us on the rails here again this week, as that'll wrap us up here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.